0: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 207, and we're recording on November 12th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Hello. Are we just counting down to Thanksgiving now? <laughs> uh,
1: well, I'm going to visit Preeti in Atlanta this week. So <gasps> that is what I am counting down towards. I'm so excited. Thanksgiving is my favorite
0: holiday. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, No, it is not my favorite <laughs> holiday. <laughs> but I don't. I love pumpkin pie. So, like, I do love that part of it. Yeah,
0: it's definitely my favorite.
1: Mm, mm, interesting.
0: I don't. It doesn't make. I mean, I have no. It's just Eating. Like you don't do right. anything on Thanksgiving. You sit and you eat food and you watch football. I don't even care about that. Like I don't know why. I just like it. It's like cozy. I mean, I will
1: say that it has the least amount of other weird pressures on it for most holidays. Yes. So yeah, that's but... that's reasonable. That's reasonable.
0: Is it the cheapest, do you think? I mean like paying mm. for all those groceries is a lot of money, but like you don't have to buy presents. I often have to travel, so oh, yeah.
1: But okay. it's true that there are no presents involved. I don't know. Halloween is my favorite holiday. I do love for, Halloween. quite frankly. <laughs>
0: so okay. Well, we don't have to keep talking about Thanksgiving. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to talk about holidays today, though. We are. This is our holiday recommendation episode. I'm hey. sure we will have more requests later in the year, but we wanted to do like a whole episode of just holiday recommendations for folks, so we could get them out in time for y'all to go buy gifts. So that's what we're doing. Um, how the show works, both in this episode and in in normal weeks um is that you send us your reading recommendation requests and we answer them here on the show these can be for anything They can be for you or a book club or for a gift obviously since we're doing a whole show about it um and you can email your reading recommendation request to us at getbookedbookriot.com or you can drop your um request in the form which is the bottom of the show notes on the site If your ask is time sensitive, please put that in the subject line or in the first line in big, big letters so we can get to it on time. We might email you back. That's why we asked for your email address in the form. Uh, We might email you back if we're not going to get to it on time or if we've already answered the show on the air. Okay, so we have a, we have two pieces of feedback, but they're all for the same book. A lot of people had recommendations for the questioner who asked for comps to the convenience store woman. Kari says, I love the same aspects of the book she mentioned, Everyday Life in Japan and Magical Realism. She recommends Ma, uh, Manazura and The Briefcase, which are both short novels by Hiromi Kawakami. Uh, the Housekeeper and the Professor by Yoko Ogawa, and Anything by Murakami. Um, and then Brooke recommends for the same question, uh, Strange Weather in Tokyo, also titled The Briefcase. So it's the same recommendation. Um, and it gave me that same calmly peculiar feeling with good food and daily life scenes. The Nakano Thrift Shop by the same author might be for you too. I've seen that book everywhere, The Nakano Thrift Shop. I should pick it up Mm mm-hmm okay so i'm gonna read our first question and then we will talk about our first sponsor anyway we'll go okay our first question is from emily who says my boyfriend says that he's inspired by my quest to read more books in 2019 and wants to follow suit next year However, he has no no idea where to begin. I was hoping to get him some Christmas gifts that could point him in the right direction. I know he likes fantasy and graphic novels, specifically The Adventure Zone and anything Marvel. He's also a very ph- philosophical mind and loves to read really complicated books about existence and consciousness. Any suggestions would be welcome. Okay, let's get to our first sponsor and then we will roll on.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my Okay, Jen, what you
0: got?
1: I love this question because it means I get to recommend two books. Uh, it's a two book. It's a duology. I was going to say (laughs) two-book series, but there's a word for that. It's a duology (laughs) by Sumit Basu. Uh, The first book is called Turbulence. The second book is called Resistance. And I love these so much because they are basically like very international superhero novels. They have great action. And if he likes The Adventure Zone and Marvel, like I feel really confident that he's going to dig these. And they're also not around as much as, you know, some other like Marvel-y-esque books are, that have been recommended, you know, you know are out in the world, I guess. Um, I don't see as many people reading these. So chances are he hasn't already tried them. So the sort of catalyst for these books is um, one of the main characters, Amon Sen, is on a plane from London to Delhi, and everyone on his flight has extraordinary abilities suddenly. Like they get, they get on the plane, they're totally normal, they get off the plane, and they all have weird superpowers. And some of them are really, because everybody got a power that corresponds to their innermost, sometimes unknown even to them, desire. Like some of these superpowers are very strange. And some are really cool and some are really dangerous. And like there are babies on this flight. So like what happens? What's a baby's like Innermost desire, and what superpower will they then manifest? so there's all kinds of interesting things going on um and Aman really wants to like do the right thing and be a hero, but he keeps finding that when he tries to do the right thing, like other people end up harmed, and so he's struggling to deal with his new life as a superhero, and of course, everybody who's on that plane has very different. Ways that they're dealing with it. So he's interacting with some of these other people and like fighting others of them. And, uh, and then obviously things continue in book two. I won't say anything too particular ac- except to say that some sec- secondary characters in book one get voices in book two. And it's so much fun and it's so cool. And you get to see this world just like expand even more. And there are some really interesting sort of existential existential and philosophical questions involved. Like, yeah, you know, what does it mean to suddenly have your innemo- innermost desires manifested? And then what will you do with those powers? These are very, very interesting questions. And I feel like Basu really explores them in interesting ways. And I just love the characters in this. And I love the action. Ugh, it's so much fun. So again, that's Turbulence, which is book one, and Resistance, which is book two, by Sumit Basu.
0: I went in a totally different direction than, <laughs> than Jen did. I kind of fixated on the philosophical, complicated books about consciousness and stuff. Um, and I picked how to do nothing, resisting the attention economy by Jenny Odell, which is a book by a biracial Filipina millennial who likes bird watching and hates Facebook. So nice. I wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it sounds from the title, like resisting the attention economy, doing nothing, that it's about, you know, how to put down your phone and pay more attention to your friends at dinner, but it's, Not that at all. It is this very high-minded work of art criticism and philosophy about cat, like late stage capitalism and how to resist being, like having your identity and selfhood be a means of capitalist productivity. And like, it's a lot about techno determinism. And Jenny Odell is a digital artist, um, and like, very, it teaches art criticism and art history. And so a lot of the book is art history. And I'll look at the different, at-, at different ways that artists throughout time have resisted, um, and, used art and their, uh, the, like, uh, what's the word? The currency of their attention to resist injustice in their, like, sphere. So she's not saying, um, you know, I, you hate Facebook and you don't like the way that the world is going. So just get off social media and ignore what's happening in the world. And then that's fine. Like, yay. That's not, that's like the opposite of her message is like how to remain involved in the things that are happening in your life and like fight for a world that, um, you like through Like artistic criticism and this very high-minded philosophical approach. It's very dense. It's pretty short. It's, I don't know, like 250 pages maybe, but it took me almost a month to get through because I have no background in art criticism. I was not expecting a work of philosophy about like consciousness, uh, when I picked it up. Um, but I ended up really, really loving it. Nothing like anything I've ever read. Um, but I think that somebody who enjoys philosophy and approaching Modern problems with like a, with that, that lens of like consciousness and a really 50,000 foot view of social issues, uh, will, will really appreciate this book. So that's How to Do Nothing by Jenny Odell.
1: Sold to this lady Gosh,
0: right so here. It's so good. <laughs> what? It's it, amazing. <laughs> I need to read that. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah. It's, it's hard. Like it's, yeah. it's very heady and it's very academic. Um, but, like angry so it is was easy to get i don't know it's such an interesting reading experience and i and she is advocating for a lot now i'm just still talking about it she's advocating for (laughs) um like the the ways in which we can resist most effectively is to become very familiar with like the biodiversity of our surroundings so like she talks a lot about indigenous rights and like bird watching and learning how to identify you know like not just going for a hike but like actually caring and and being an activist in your uh local ecological systems it's just fascinating
1: here for all of it all right <laughs> Well, our next question is from Danielle, who says, I'm looking for a book for my brother for Christmas. Maybe a comedy mystery. To give you an idea of his style, he likes Terry Pratchett, but not Neil Gaiman. He enjoyed the Rivers of London series and the Bartimaeus trilogy. He likes authors such as Chris Radell, Trenton Lee Stewart, Marie Brennan, and Scott Westerfeld. It's been difficult to find something that lines up with his particular brand of dry humor without it going too far and becoming cliche or eye-rolling, e.g. Genevieve Cogman or early Jasper Ford. Any help would be much appreciated. This is a fascinating
2: mm-hmm. question.
1: I dig it. And also, yeah, that's really hard because it is going to be very particular to him. Like some things are going to work and some things are just not. Uh, but I to take a stab at it, and I feel reasonably, I feel like 80% confident in this recommendation, uh, is Gideon the Ninth by Tamzin Muir. This book has been all over the place for good reason. It is a very bonkers, dry, comedic, locked planet murder mystery with necromancers in space. And I, I do think there's a lot of pratchettiness, you know, I, I think, uh, like, Tamsin is writing, I think, in that tradition Because Gideon, the narrator of this book, is a young swordswoman who's grown up on this like Really sort of dead dying religious planet full of nuns who hate her. Uh, and all she wants to do is escape and she has her escape attempt planned and then she gets suckered into signing on to protect the, you know, young daughter of the ruling house, as it were, as she goes to be, to be part of this competition to become an immortal necromancer for the emperor. So, complicated, weird setup. But Gideon is, like, not here for any of it. Like, her only desire is to get off this planet and eventually get to do what she wants, which is to fight. And this is her best chance at it. And so she, and the book is told from her point of view, so you're just getting her sarcastic views on everything that's going on around her, which cracked me up, I will say. There's a lot of fun references. So, like, if you are steeped in various pop culture things, you'll pick them up. But if you're not, it doesn't matter. Like, it's just very enjoyable. Uh, Gideon is such—she just is having none of it. Um, And I think that the, like, hijinks that ensue are, like, very, like I said, you know, in the Pratchett tradition. So I think— this will scratch those same itches. And it's just, there's so many twists and turns. It's so unexpected, some of the things that happen. And I actually just reread it recently. Like, I took it on vacation with me. Is the only time I'm allowed to reread books. Um, and I was like, oh, there's the thing. Like, it was really fun to go back and put the puzzle pieces together. So it is a book that is rereadable, which I think also, Terry Pratchett is very rereadable. So again, that's Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir.
0: Okay, I picked what... I feel like is probably a gimme. But you didn't mention Douglas Adams in his favorite authors list, so I'm going for it. So I picked Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, which I feel like you can't not read if you like Terry Pratchett because they both have they have the same kind of like rational humanist absurdist kind of humor. Uh, Terry Pratchett's a little bit more, I don't even know how to say it, like architect, not architectural, agricultural, like there's a lot more <laughs> plants happening and like, you know, sheep and stuff, but, uh, Douglas Adams is mostly in space, so it's a little bit different. Um, his animals are like floating whales. I don't know, but they have the very much, I think, the a similar sense of humor. So Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, please don't see the movies before I get into this rant. They're terrible. Okay. So Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, is about a dude named Arthur who lives on Earth, obviously. Um, and he unbeknownst to him, Earth is about to be demolished, like literally in seconds when the book opens, um, to make real- Room for a galactic freeway and his friend Ford comes in and, and like saves him, takes him off the planet. Ford has been survey like posing as an out of work actor, but what he actually is doing is researching a revised edition of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And so then the two of them are joined by this like motley crew of side characters, including my favorite, Marvin, a very depressive robot. Uh, and they like just go on this series of adventures. There's not really I don't think there's really a mystery except for like how are they going to survive? They're obviously such nimrods in this like goofy <laughs> kind of story. Um, but that's kind of the thing that I love about Douglas Adams is that he, uh, it's just absurd, you know, like uh, everything that he's saying about life, the universe, and everything, inside joke, if you've read the book, um, <laughs> is, uh, is that, you know, it's kind of nihilistic, like there is no rhyme or reason to why we're here, we're all just making do, but he has such a warm-hearted way of putting the things that he's talking about by like sending these people on adventures through goofy alien universes. What he is and is ultimately saying is like, there's no, you know, like, it's kind of all chaos. So let's all just be as nice to each other as possible. Because why else? Like, why else are we even bothering? Which I think is a very pratchety kind of way of um portraying a philosophical statement. So that's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams.
1: I really liked the newest movie. Oh, I didn't see the new one. Is that with the guy from Sherlock? Uh yeah, Martin Freeman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I will say that it's not true to the plot of oh. the original entirely. Um it has a little bit of ease, but I thought it was very true to the spirit. Okay. And Most Def is an amazing Ford Prefect for the record.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well I'll give it a go. All right. Our next question is from Stephanie, who says, I'm wanting to get my mom a book for Christmas this year. I was not sure how close to the time you wanted a time-sensitive marketing. My mom's absolute favorite book series is Outlander by Diana Gabaldon. I don't know why I can't talk today. Diana Gabaldon. <laughs> and she enjoys historical romance. She really likes fantasy, like Lord of the Rings, is a major Star Wars fan, though generally not into sci-fi. Okay, what you got?
1: I picked the city of brass, which is the first in the Devabad trilogy by S.A. Chakraborty. And I picked this. This is an interesting question. Like she loves Outlander. So she likes, and you said historical romances, but she also likes Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. P.S. I like want to be friends with your mom. Um, <laughs> and I was thinking about this and I was like, Oh, I bet she would love city of brass because while it is not a romance, it does have a strong romance, several, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, strong romance subplots. And the main character is inhabiting both an actual historical place, which is 18th century Cairo, but then, you know, goes to the city of the Djinn where there's fantasy and magic. And it's got a little bit, I think, of all of the things that your mom likes. So hopefully that means that altogether she'll really like it. And the main character, Nari, is a con woman uh, in 18th century Cairo, like I said. And she, like, has been faking that she has, you know, magical powers to earn money, basically. Um, Like palm readings and doing healings and all of this stuff. And then one day she is performing a ceremony that she thinks is fake and accidentally summons a djinn. And then she's like... Being stalked by these ghoul zombies who are trying to kill her, and she has no idea what's going on. And she's an orphan, and this, uh, warrior is starting to tell her that, like, her heritage is very important to the Jin city that he's taking her to. And she's like, this is nonsense. But lo and behold, she gets there, and like, no one quite knows to do what to do with her. Um, and she's in mess in all of these political wheelings and dealings, and has to, you know, try to decide who to trust and who not to trust. And there's just, Like there's a lot of amazing stuff going on in here. And I think it's got that like lush, detailed world building that Star Wars and Outlander have. And there's so many different things going on, but you're really focused on Nari for the most part, although you do, I think, get other POVs later on. Um, And there's two books of the trilogy out currently, and the third one comes out next year, so it's not as long to wait. So yeah, I think this would be an interesting one to give a try. So again, that's The City of Brass, which is the first in the Devabug trilogy by SA Chakraborty.
0: Okay, I picked the Loyal League series by Alyssa Cole, specifically Ooh, yes. the first book, which is An Extraordinary Union, because if you want a historical romance with a Scotsman, I've got one for you. Okay, so An Extraordinary Union, it takes place in Richmond, yay, during the Civil War. Um, it's about a woman named Elle, who is a former slave. She has an eidetic memory, and so she now lives in Massachusetts and has agreed to join the Loyal League, which is a um, like underground what's the word, organization uh, in the north of former slaves who are working for the Union. And so she has gone undercover in Richmond in the house of a uh, Confederate general, I think, um, posing as a mute slave so that she can collect information. Um, She gets teamed up with another undercover agent in order to carry out this mission. She doesn't know who it is, but when she finds out who it is, um, she realizes that it's Malcolm McCall, who is a detective for Pinkerton Secret Service, which was like the precursor to the FBI. Um, and he is posing as a Confederate soldier. Malcolm is, in fact, uh, like I said, undercover working for the Union, but he is also an immigrant from Scotland. His family fled Scotland after the English destroyed their home um, and assaulted his mother and, like, all of this terrible oppressive stuff that if you've read Outlander, I'm sure you're super familiar with. Um, and so the two of them have to work together on this mission to help overthrow the Confederacy and, of course, since it's a romance novel... Shenanigans ensue. Uh, by shenanigans, I mean making out. In case we were unclear <laughs> about what I meant by that, about what I meant by that. Um, but each book in this series, and I think there are three out now, um, follow a different member of the Loyal League as they are working to overthrow the Confederacy and make sure that the Union is victorious during the Civil War. And so, but I I think that this would be a good pick for somebody who likes Outlander because it has that same sort of, there's no time travel, but it has that same sort of thing of, like, normal people unexpectedly interfering in, like, these big political and historical events in the same way that, like, Jamie and Claire travel across oceans, you know, several times, multiple times in order to interfere in historical events. So it's it hits, I think, a lot of the same kind of uh points that people it's not as long but it hits a lot of the same sort of i don't know tropes that outlander does so that's the loyal league series by Alyssa cole uh and the first book is an extraordinary union
1: now i'm just imagining like a crossover where like claire <laughs> and claire Elle, shows up yeah exactly meet like in during some mission or something <laughs> and what if like
0: malcolm knows for some reason like knows oh, jamie my like gosh. what are you doing here i could totally
1: <laughs> see that actually that's kind of amazing all right mm-hmm. So our next question is from Reading Around the Christmas Tree, adorable, uh, who says, Every year from December 1st to 25th, I go into full Christmas mode. All my free time goes into Christmas activities, and I only want to read holiday books. It's silly, I know, but I just like it. It's not a religious thing for me, and I'm open to other midwinter holiday tradition stories. I usually reread Christmas passages from novels I've marked in the past or end up reading tons of picture books and short stories because that's what I found easily, but I like a novel or two this year. I love historical fiction, middle grade, literary fiction, and YA. All right, so I had some help with this one because I wanted to find you something that wasn't just Christmas. I have Christmas ones, but I was like, oh, let's find something else. So Tirza, who is one of our bibliologists for TBR and um, does the Read Harder podcast for insiders and is very knowledgeable about all kinds of things, recommended The Lotteries More or Less by Emma Donahue, which I've been meaning to read this series forever and I really need to get on it. This is technically the second in the series, but they're middle grade and like I think you'll probably would be fine. The lotteries are a big blended multicultural family. There are four parents. There are children who are both adopted or biological. They have pets um, and they all live in a giant house called Camelottery. Get it? Oh yeah. my god, adorable. <laughs> uh, it's so good. Um, and in the second one, uh, the main character of these is Sumac Lottery, amazing name. And she is in charge of like keeping all of the family traditions going, which include like holy and and Carnival and Hogmanay and, you know, all kinds of different things. Um, But all of her plans get messed up this winter because a visitor overstays his welcome. And then there's an ice storm. So one of her dads and her favorite brother can't make it home from India. And then the power starts to go out and like everything's, you know, not coming up sumac. Like, how can she salvage their holiday season, even if all of her beautiful, beautiful plans are ruined. And this just sounds so heartwarming and sweet and lovely. And I love Emma Donahue's adult fiction. And so, yeah, this is, like I said, on my list. I'm going to try to get to it this holiday season because this just sounds delightful. And again, that's The Lotteries More or Less by Emma Donahue.
0: Uh, I missed where you said novel. So I have a collection of short stories for you. Sorry. But they're so good. I'm not going back. So I picked If the Fates Allow, which is a collection of short story. Well, it's an anthology. Edited by Annie Harper. And this is an LGBTQ holiday short story collection. And I love every single story in it. My favorite one is called Gracious Living Magazine Says It Has to Be a Live Tree. <laughs> it's by Killian Brewer. I know. It's so good. Um, And it's about a guy named Marcus who is, like, really determined to make his first Christmas with his new boyfriend, like magazine level fancy Um and so he asks this like group of elderly women who hang out in the cafe where he works who he calls the do nothings club because they don't do anything all day except interfere in like everybody's business so he asks them to help and then he finds out that his boyfriend might have maybe bought a ring sometime recently because these women like tell him that uh and then you know all of his attempts to make it perfect for christmas become out like, completely out of hand because he thinks he's about to be proposed to and it's like a whole hilarious rom-com like netflix special and i <laughs> Love about it. Um, there's also a really cute short story called Halfway Home about a woman named Avery who finds a like scraggly gross dog <laughs> in a parking lot and takes it to the shelter and meets a girl named Grace at the shelter uh, at Christmas. And there's a dog. Oh, man, so you're killing me. I know. Every every single story in this collection is like sweet and goofy. It's just Hallmark. Like they're all Hallmark, but make it gay. And I'm so here for that. I love it so much. So that's If the Fates Allow. It's edited by Annie Herber. Oh, and we're going to take time out for our next sponsor.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So, Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So, anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed, and she thought she was done. okay our next
0: question is from hannah who says my cousin is turning 15 in january and loves to read my plan for her christmas present this year is getting her different books about growing up mental health and other topics relevant for starting high school and planning for the future she loves the harry potter series surprise surprise the geek girl series divergent and other fantasy or dystopian books she isn't really into heavy romances but doesn't mind some i've already thought of giving her if you come softly by jacqueline woodson okay what you got jen
1: well, I picked something that doesn't exactly relate to any of the books that your sister loves, but is the book that I want to give to, like, graduating, like, I want to give it to high schoolers and, and college students. All of them. All of them. <laughs> Just like every single one of them. And it's Hyperbole and a Half by Ali Broche. And this is a graphic novel, well, a graphic memoir. Excuse me. Um, and Ali Broch, uh, like, was an internet sensation back in the day, <laughs> um, <laughs> who, you know, does these amazing cartoons in MS Paint. Uh, so they're, like, very sort of deliberately, you know, kind of crappy drawings. Yeah. Like, I don't know how else to say it, but that's on purpose. And she actually is an amazing artist. But this is her just, like, using, you know, the tools in MS Paint, which, like, I don't even know if that exists anymore. And she's telling stories about her life and her stupid dog and, you know, her own struggles with anxiety and depression, um, memories from her childhood, cake, how much she loves cake. Like, it's just – it's so – joyful. And yet it's so real, like to the point where it made me cry more than once about depression and anxiety and how hard it can be to feel like nobody understands what you're going through and then to come out of it and like to be a person in relationships and with friends and family and dogs and a love of cake and like how you are more than your mental health issues, but how those are those are serious and need to be considered. Like it just balances everything so perfectly. And the drawings are hilarious and they're so much fun to look at. And I like have a hardcover copy and then a paperback copy that I loan because that's how much I love this book. Yes, I think it's like a must have in the books that you put on your shelf if you want to have references to help you like feel understood and deal with your anxiety and depression and other issues. So again, that's Hyperbole and a Half by Ali Brosh.
0: Okay, I picked an anthology called Don't Call Me Crazy, which is edited by Kelly Jensen, who is an editor here at Book Riot. Mm -hmm. Uh, She is also a former YA librarian and has written, or she's edited, excuse me, this collection, Don't Call Me Crazy, and also a previous one called Here We Are, Feminism for the Real World, which is an anthology, a multimedia anthology about feminism for teenagers. So Kelly's got a very, like not teenage brain, that's not what I mean, but like knows how to put things in a package that teenagers are going to understand and find relatable. And I picked this because she brought together a bunch of YA authors and other writers and illustrators and like comic book, um, illustrators to talk about mental health in this book. Um, and a lot of them, I think your cousin will probably recognize, especially since she likes fantasy. So like Libba Bray has an essay in here, Victoria Schwab, V.E. Schwab has an essay. There's also Adam Silvera who doesn't write fantasy, but is a very well-known, uh, YA author, um, and Meredith Russo. So there's a bunch of different, it's also multimedia, there's a bunch of different kinds of media, um, including like lists, essays, of course, comics, there's illustrations. Um, And here we are, she had some like Instagram posts from a couple of really famous people about feminism. Um, But Don't Call Me Crazy uh, comes at a lot of different angles of mental health. Like, of course, there are people talking about depression and there are people talking about anxiety, but there are there's also like Meredith Russo does an essay about mental health and being a trans woman. And um Esme uh Wei Jun Wang has an essay about like schizophrenia. There's so many different things that are touched on um in this collection. And some of them this this wasn't necessarily written for specifically for young adults or teenagers like her first collection was. Uh, but I think that anyone who has been reading uh, books about growing up or mental health or who is starting high school, um, will appreciate the perspectives that are offered here because these writers spend most of their time writing for young adults. And so the angle, the, the perspectives that they bring, I don't know. They're just like very useful and relatable. And I think would be a good. About Like a good collection of information for somebody who's about to go into a very frightening transition in life. Like going into high school is pretty scary. Um, I think having this information that's in this collection would be really helpful. So that's Don't Call Me Crazy, uh, edited by Kelly Jensen.
1: All right. Our next question is from Barcelona Bookish Adventures, who says, For the Christmas holidays, I will be traveling with my boyfriend to stay with his mother in Barcelona. This will be my first international trip. While I'm trying to keep my expectations low, I think it could be fun to read a novel that takes place in Spain. Maybe even Barcelona we will be traveling to nearby cities as well. Do you have any recommendations for novels that take place, preferably in modern Spain, with a female protagonist? When I try looking at novels, all I find are older historical fictions written by men. So listen, this <laughs> question was by far the hardest to answer because you are not wrong. I don't know what it is, but like finding contemporary novels in translated in English or just in English generally by female Spanish authors is almost impossible. I found one that was out of print, one that's not going to be out until halfway through next year. Like what and that was it like that was it um so I apologize in advance that this is a historical fiction, but it's written by a woman about a woman. And the author is a contemporary Spanish author. So I, I got as close as I could is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, it's The Time in Between by Maria Dueñas, and it's translated by Daniel Hahn. And this sounds amazing. I My library hole did not come in in time for me to read it, but I'm excited to get to it. Uh, it feels very like wintry. So this is a book that is set part. Partly in Spain and then partly in Morocco. And the main character, Syrah, has been left abandoned by her lover in Morocco uh, around the time of World War II. And she ends up becoming a, she's a seamstress, and she becomes a couture designer for the socialite wives of, like, German Nazi officers. And she also is part of the resistance. She's passing information to the British Secret Service through, like, codes stitched into her dresses. Like, how amazing does that? sound this sounds amazing uh and so this you know it moves around in time and space a little bit i couldn't verify for sure that it takes place in barcelona but you're gonna get like pre-world war ii into world war ii spain and morocco which is pretty cool and i just love the idea of this like especially because women's like things like you know Clothing designing and seamstress work is often sort of looked down on as like, oh, it's just like craft. It's not art. Um, But to use it as a piece of political resistance, which for the record is not uncommon. Like there's an amazing quilting resistance tradition in America. And so, anyway, I just think that's a super cool topic and it sounds amazing. And the reviews for it are incredible. So, uh, hopefully, this will give you at least some kind of sense for uh, Spain's history and a little bit of the geography as well. And an amazing heroine. So that's The Time in Between by Maria Dueñas, translated by Daniel Hahn.
0: Okay, uh, my pick has a trigger warning for animal abuse. It's Dog Day by Alicia Jimenez Bartlett, and it's translated by Nicholas Keister. Um, this is the second book in a crime novel series, but you don't need to have read the first one. I have not read the first one. I have only read this one uh, because I found it at a used bookstore, and I like the cover because it's got a big dog on it, so I bought it, <laughs> and it was great. Um, Bartlett is one of Spain's most popular novels. She's definitely Spain's most popular crime writer, um, or mystery writer. So the series of, uh, books here are the Petra Delicado series and Petra is a woman. She is an investigator for the police and she is the person like solving all these crimes. I love this book so much because the detective Petra is she takes on a lot of these, like, kind of noir, uh, detective tropes a bit. Like, she is alone, she lives alone, like, she really, she's, like, into her job, her, she, you know, married to her job kind of a thing. She's very sarcastic and dry, and hers, her partner is named Garzon, and he is just the, this, like, dour, really hard drinking, goofy dude who, in my head, is wearing a tuxedo the whole time. I don't know why. <laughs> like, like, it's a little bit like a penguin in my head, like kind of there. I don't, like not helping, but just there. He's um, very much like a comic relief to her uh, hard biting kind of way of doing things. And they are assigned to solve uh, the murder of a homeless man who. Uh, has a dog named Fright. Uh, he actually isn't homeless. He does end up having an apartment, but when they find him, they find him on the street. And so she starts, you know, investigating this murder and kind of the dog is like their lead. The dog is their only lead. And then one murder leads to another and Petra finds herself involved in this like really complicated world of uh, dog fighting and like breeding these animals, um, which is hence the uh, animal abuse trigger warning because there's a lot of dog fighting um, in this. And it, I don't know, it's just like a really fun, I wouldn't necessarily say like, if you want to go to Barcelona, read this book about dogfighting, you know, Um, but it hits all of the points that you wanted. And the city does feature a lot in the book. And it's just a really like fast paced, entertaining crime novel, uh, which I think is like a great kind of read for winter. So that is Dog Day by Alicia Jimenez Bartlett, translated by Nicholas Keister. And that is our holiday show. Da, hey, da. Hey. <laughs> boop boop. Thank you for listening. Um please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have a holiday recommendation request that you haven't sent in yet, please you, like it's fine. Just because we did this like one show for it doesn't mean we're not gonna answer any more questions about the holidays. So please send us in. Um, especially if the holidays that you celebrate are not Christmas, because all we had was Christmas questions and I would love other ones. Um, so thank you so much to our sponsors. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me
1: on Twitter as Jen IRL. That's Jen with two N's IRL. And I'm on Instagram as I am Jen I-R-L.
0: And we will talk to y'all next week.